Blog Talk Radio. Music Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. Don't underestimate the other guys. Green. Robert, Mark, and Reed. You have the right to remain silent. Let me shut up. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. They see me rolling. They hating. Patrolling and trying to get me right. Laws Fighting for Justice Radio analyzes civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and covers all legal current events. Each week, Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice features newsmakers, attorneys, media personalities, celebrities, experts, business people, and so much more. Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice. Straight talk, no nonsense. I'm going to make them an offer again with you. Now it's time for Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. Here are your hosts, Robert, Mark, and Reed. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for listening to our show. Thanks very much. We really do appreciate it. We have another fantastic show for you today. Before we get started, I want to remind you to check out our website at kuziklaw.com, and you can check out our Facebook page, search for Kuziklaw. We're very excited to have scheduled today Assemblyman Bill Quirk to join us later in the show, if he can. Uh, We're going to start with our Four news stories of the week. Uh, remember, this is Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice radio with Robert Ryan, Mark Leonardo, and myself. Each week, we analyze civil cases in the news and trends in the law, and we cover legal current events. Today, we're going to talk about these four very interesting news stories, and we're going to start with Robert Ryan talking to us about that 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 crash that happened by with the Tesla owner that was using autopilot in Texas, he decided not to sue, but the car insurer may. Robert, what happened? Hey, Reed. First, let me say how excited I am to be a part of this week's show because we do have many great topics that I'm sure our listeners are going to find very interesting. And here we go again with the Tesla story. It seems like a show doesn't go by that we don't talk about more bad news for the Tesla motor car company. What happened this time was a Texas man... Uh, 44-year-old Tesla owner uh, who owns two Teslas, as a matter of fact, was driving on a road that he said he had driven many times before in his Tesla Model S uh, on autopilot mode. Um, The car came upon a curve, and instead of negotiating the curve, as they say, it smashed into the guardrail, and upon the first contact, continued to accelerate multiple times into the guardrail until the car was destroyed. Now, uh, Fortunately, unlike some past uh, Tesla accidents, the uh, driver, uh, Mr. Moulton, uh, came away with nothing more than a bloody nose. However, uh, and he doesn't intend to pursue any claims against Tesla as a result of his injuries. However, his insurance company, Chubb, has hired a law firm in Texas to contact Tesla concerning uh, a possible claim for what lawyers call subrogation. What is subrogation? Well, that's kind of a fancy word for how your insurance company gets money back that it pays out in claims uh, from the people who might be responsible for causing the loss in the first place. In this particular case, Chubb has to pay the value of the Tesla Model S that was destroyed in this collision. Uh, those cars are not cheap, and Chubb apparently wants to at least investigate the possibility of, of holding Tesla responsible because of this autopilot feature that the owner of the vehicle says was responsible for causing the crash. Now, uh, this is on top of more bad news for Tesla. We spoke last week about uh, the fatal accident in Florida that is being investigated by federal authorities. And this comes on top of another accident in Montana 
where a car crashed into some uh, guideposts while it was in autopilot mode, and a third crash in uh, Pennsylvania. Fortunately, there were no fatalities involved in those particular incidents. But where is we really going uh, with this whole autopilot thing with Tesla? It's a very interesting issue because some car carriers, car companies, uh, Ford comes to mind, have recently announced plans to really accelerate the development of autopilot or strictly autonomous vehicles. They're just made to operate themselves. There is not even intended to be a driver behind a steering wheel. Tesla has taken a different approach, though, uh, calling it a semi-autonomous mode, which requires that the driver still have some interaction even when the car is on its autopilot mode. So the question has become whether or not some confusion is being created in the minds of drivers. They call it autopilot, which sort of suggests that the driver can basically go to sleep. And as a matter of fact, in the Florida crash that led to the uh, driver's death, the, uh, the driver was actually watching a movie at the time the vehicle uh, T-boned a tractor trailer. In this particular case in Texas that we're talking about today, apparently the driver had reached into his glove compartment while the car was in autopilot mode to get a cloth and was wiping down the dashboard when the accident happened. There's been a lot of criticism about the use of the term autopilot by Tesla because it seems to suggest that people don't have to do anything at all and the vehicle is going to take care of the entire driving experience. Um, Tesla in the fine print says no, that this is only intended to augment the driver's ability to operate the vehicle and that hands should always be on the wheel and the driver should always be alert to take over. Consumer Reports, uh, that ratings agency that takes a long, hard look at car safety issues, as we all know, has actually urged Tesla to change the name of this feature, to remove the suggestion that drivers may be kind of getting the impression that uh, they don't need to do anything and the autopilot mode is, uh, is going to operate the car exclusively without any driver input. So this is more bad news for Tesla and more interesting issues being posed as we move forward with respect to the entire issue of uh, autonomously driving vehicles. That's an amazing story, Robert. i got to say, I think that guy's an idiot. I, how could you drive a car and not look where it's going, not have your hands on the wheel? I mean, I get it that, that it's called autopilot. Maybe some stupid people out there would think that they can just sit in the car and watch a movie or do something else and not even look where they're going. But to me, it's more like cruise control. It's, it assists the driver, but it, sh it doesn't replace the human brain. You've got to have somebody looking what's going on and making sure that they're not going to crash into a guardrail. Well, that's a very good point. As a matter of fact, the technical term for this feature on the Tesla vehicle is called traffic-aware cruise control. And that sort of suggests that there is a greater degree of driver input that would be contemplated. However, in all of their marketing, and if you go to their website, they strongly advertise it and promote it as something called autopilot in a way that seems to suggest that there's very little input required from the driver. Um, and it's this kind of dichotomy in what the feature actually does and how it's presented by Tesla that has caused concern about, among many um, uh, regulators and uh, federal safety officials. You know, Tesla is a very cutting-edge car company, right? And they're always making big promises about their technology and about their performance and about their batteries. And the autopilot feature has kind of been swept up into this hype of Tesla as being some cutting-edge technological marvel. 
Whether or not the technology that they're promoting actually measures up to that is a different story, though. Ford and Google, their autonomous car programs, aren't even contemplated to have a driver because they believe it needs to be all or nothing. Either the, either the driver is driving the vehicle or the ve vehicle is driving itself. Tesla has tried to come up with a kind of a hybrid uh, situation where the car does a lot of the driving itself when it's in this autopilot mode, but the driver is still required to be there to supervise it. And whether that is going to create some liability for Tesla because of this and because of that situation in Florida, well, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, that's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I hope that people – I still think Tesla is a great company, and I love what they're doing. Um, and I don't fault them for this at all, uh, except maybe in their marketing they've probably taken it a little bit too far. But I think that the, the more this happens, the more people are going to realize that this is something that assists the drivers. It doesn't replace the drivers. We're not there yet. Uh, and people really do need to absolutely uh, pay attention to where they're going, what their surroundings are, and make sure that the car is doing what it's what what it's designed to do. Um, so with that, I think we're going to move on. Mark Leonardo is going to join us a little bit later. He's he's got tied up. So we're no, I'm here. Move. I'm here. Oh, are you with us? Okay. I'm with you guys. Uh, good. So uh, then we're going to discuss the the story where and a diving instructor in a deadly California skydiving jump was not certified. And this is going to probably be a huge lawsuit. And the apparently the the owner of the skydiving company made some really stupid remarks. Mark, tell us what happened. Have either of you guys ever jumped out of a plane to go skydiving? Not me. I would I, never do this. Yeah, Why would anybody either. want to jump out of a perfectly good plane? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, anyway, this is a sad story because two weeks ago, uh, a skydiving instructor and, and his student at the Lodi Parachute Center, which is near Lodi, uh, south of Sacramento. They fell to their death in a tandem jump when their parachute malfunctioned. Um, a tandem skydiving or tandem parachuting refers to a type of skydiving where the student skydiver is connected to a harness attached to the instructor. <clears throat> the instructor guides the student through the whole jump from exit out of the plane through the free fall, piloting the canopy, and then, and then landing. On this jump, the instructor was 25 years old, and the student was a guy by the name of Tyler Turner. He was 18, and he was about to enter college, I think, this week. He was, uh, this is his one and only jump. He was a musician, an honor student in high school, and he was there with his friend and his, and his mother, and she watched in horror as her son plummeted to his death. Uh, as it turns out, despite having over 700 jumps in his career, this particular instructor was not certified by the United States Parachute Association, known as the USPA, uh, and he wasn't certified by the manufacturer of the equipment either. The FAA uh, regulates this, this sport, and uh, it requires either for instructors to have certification with either the USPA or with the manufacturer of the equipment, and this guy didn't have either. Now, the jump took place, as, as I said, at the Lodi Parachute Center, uh, which is the busiest jumping facility in Northern California. And I did a little research and discovered that this center has been open since the early 1980s, and this was the 15th death from jumpers at this facility. Um, 
you know, what's interesting here is that the Lodi Parachute Center isn't a USPA member. And if you are a member of that organization, they have all these safety standards that they require to be a member. And as Reed, as you said, uh, the guy, the owner of this place, his name is Bill Krauss. He made some interesting comments. He took a, a really cavalier attitude to this incident. This, this jump occurred about 10 o'clock in the morning, but he continued to operate the center the rest of the day. It seems like the almighty dollar was far more important to him than the life of this young man, or for safety for that matter. When, when he was asked about keeping his business open, he said, we didn't stop because we don't like the guy. We didn't stop because we weren't interested in the guy. We didn't stop because life goes on. That's a quote. He also said, it's an unfortunate situation, but if you see a car wreck, they don't close the freeway. It's something, unfortunately, in this sport, in skiing and scuba diving, there are fatalities. So I, I, know I found his uh, comments to be, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but didn't seem like he cared much about the people. All he cares about is his business. Well, we can't, have, we can't have a lawsuit, though, just because the man seems cavalier about the accidents that happen in skydiving. And when somebody goes skydiving, aren't they required to sign some sort of disclaim or some sort of release where they acknowledge the very real threat, I would think, of death or, or serious injury as a result of jumping out of a plane and, uh, with nothing more than a parachute? I mean, you can, know, wasn't, a, can a claim survive those types of, that type of documentation that is required to be signed? presumably, well, before participating in this kind of activity? Robert, good question. It, 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 it didn't say in all the articles that I was reading on this topic, but uh, presumably um, he signed a, a release, and those releases have been upheld here in California. Uh, in fact, in California, there's a statute under the Public Utilities Code that requires the operator to maintain liability insurance for injury or death, but the, but the required amount is only $50,000. Um, the, the cases, you know, regarding the releases, like I said, they've been, they have been upheld. And, uh, but it's interesting, this guy said, this Bill Krause guy, he said, you know what, I'm, always, I'm, I'm responsible, I'm liable, even though we didn't do anything wrong. So I think he knows a lawsuit's coming. And in fact, the mom of this young boy, she plans to file a lawsuit, and she wants to get this facility shut down because they're using people that aren't certified either with the manufacturer or with the USPA. You know, I did some, found some statistics, too, that there's, there's about 3 million people that skydive in the United States every year. And then last year, there were 21 people killed, and only one was through a tandem jump. So it's pretty rare, but, you know, it still does happen. And that, I think Reed raised the question, we talked about this earlier, you know, can you, you, know, can you really sue, someone, sue the, the facility for jumping out of an airplane? I don't know, but uh, this mother is going to try to do it. Amazing. Well, I would. I, I'm not surprised. Uh, okay, let's move on to the uh, McDonald's story. Uh, 29 million fitness bands were recalled. They were given out in Happy Meals, and apparently McDonald's uh, found that there were 70 incidences of kids being harmed by the by the bands. What happened, and what's going on? Yeah, this is um, this is obviously about the our fast food giant McDonald's. They've been trying to shed their image of doling out unhealthy fast food. And in this instance, the focus was on Happy Meals. And as you probably know, all Happy Meals come with a toy. And for decades now, Happy Meal toys have served as an added incentive for kids to crave fast food and then nag their parents 
to, for uh, another trip back through the drive-thru. Um, that all equate, you know, of course, equates to greater sales from McDonald's, which, by the way, had their global profits have been sagging in recent years. So they've been trying to come up with new, new tactics. So earlier this month, McDonald's restaurants uh, nationwide gave out these, at, with their Happy Meals, these little devices called Stepits, their activity wristbands. They're like miniature Fitbits. They've become quite popular in recent years for those trying to get in shape. And so these uh, Stepits, they count and track the steps a kid would take each day. And these wristbands, they were made in China. They came in six different translucent colors. They're plastic. And they featured a digital screen that included, you know, motion-activated lights to attract the kids, uh, all the while they're tracking the kids' movements. But their plan to get kids active by providing these little fitness tractors ended almost as quickly as it started because, as you said, Reed, they're recalling 29 million wristbands in the United States and almost another 4 million in Canada. Um, and this is after receiving about 70 complaints of wrist irritations to the, to the kid's skin, and I think seven kids reported getting blisters. Um, now, this stuff is governed by the Consumer Product Safety Commission, and they're working with McDonald's on this recall. They've, they've acknowledged this is a really big recall, you know, $29 million in the United States. Um, and the commission says that McDonald's is doing the right thing here because they're recalling a product that's been shown to cause skin irritation and burns when worn by kids. That's, that's their statement. Um, one of the first things that jumps out at me is that they've, They've sold 33 million Happy Meals in a nine-day period this month, which is kind of shocking. Um, you know, consumers um, who bring back their fitness bands, they, they get a free replacement toy in either a yogurt tube or a bag of apple slices. And so they're getting some free food for bringing these back. Um, now, McDonald's, this is not the first recall they've ever had. Back in 2010, they recalled 12 million Shrek Forever after 3D collectible drinking glasses after they found out that the design of the glasses contained um, a toxic metal and known carcinogen. And then back in 2002, they recalled about 100,000 Chicago Bears bobblehead uh, collectibles from they were being sold in the Chicago area because they had excessive levels of lead in the paint. So, you know, McDonald's has had problems in the past. So, even before um, these safety concerns came about recently, you know, they were, uh, McDonald's was being mocked by some of the parents who were trying to, um, they, were, they were pointing out the hypocrisy of McDonald's encouraging children to exercise while serving them, you know, chicken nuggets and other high-fat foods in their Happy Meal. Um, so kind of a paradox what they're trying to do here. There's every Happy Meal, the, the lowest uh, content of calories is 410 calories, according to the company's online nutrition calculator. So that would be a lot of steps for the kid to take just to, to walk those off. Um, as far as the legal consequences of this recall, I, I can't imagine anyone's going to bring a lawsuit because their kid got a, a, a rash or a blister. Um, it's more I likely it would be one of the class action cases, though. It could, it could be a class action, yeah. but, you know, but since they're already giving, you know, giving you a replacement toy and they're giving you free food, what, you know, what are they going to recover? I, I can't imagine yeah. someone's going to do this. But you never know. We are very litigious in this society. You never you know. Think? So let's, let's, we've got we to gotta move on. Um, Robert, there's a, you have a motorcycle lane-splitting story, getting the green light in California. Let's 
do it. Uh, we only have about two minutes, so let's do it really quick before we have Assembly Member Bill Quirk that will be joining us. Sure. Um, lane splitting. We've all sat in traffic, uh, bumper to bumper, uh, moving along slowly while a motorcyclist comes zipping down uh, between the two lanes occupied on either side. Well, that's lane splitting. Um, Governor Jerry Brown of California signed uh, on August 19th uh, Assembly Bill 51, which has formally legalized that practice. Now, very interesting situation. There are a handful of states in the country that specifically prohibit the practice of lane splitting. Florida comes to mind. The vast majority of states don't have a specific prohibition or anything allowing it, but they consider it to be illegal based on existing laws that require vehicles to be operated totally within one lane. California, to my knowledge and everybody else's knowledge, is the only state that has viewed the absence of legislation prohibiting it as sort of a tacit approval. And so it has been widespread in California, and now AB 51 is going to formally legalize it. Now, very interesting here, which is that um, the vast majority of the public doesn't actually like it. Two-thirds of the motoring public, according to surveys, are, are, are really against the practice of lane splitting. They think it's dangerous, and they think it create, creates a risk of uh, accidents and injuries. Um, however, a a uh, study by the California uh, Department of Traffic Safety showed that lane splitting really isn't, uh, isn't unsafe as long as the motorcyclist doesn't go more than 15 miles faster than the rest of, uh, than the, rest of uh, the traffic. So um, it continues to be controversial, but one I think of the uh, main reasons that people are arguing in favor of it is that now that it's formally legal, it can be regulated so to make it safer. And I'm sure that that's something that our next guest is going to be able to tell us all about. Excellent. Well, Assemblyman Bill Quirk, we are very excited and honored to have you on our program. And uh, California's motorists now have some, are going to have some clear rules on lane splitting after the state on Friday became the first in the nation to formally legalize this process. Uh, you you uh, sponsored this legislation. And we're very happy to have you on to be able to talk about it. Thank you. I'm glad to be here to speak about it. Um, first of all, the way California works, whatever isn't illegal or is legal, so I haven't legalized it. But what I have done is I've allowed the state to do uh, educational guidelines on how to do it safely. Um, and those guidelines are both for motorcyclists. They'll be told... If you're going faster than a certain speed, it's not safe. And they'll be told you shouldn't go too much faster than the traffic, probably no more than 10 to 15 miles an hour faster. These, um, they attempted to put some rules together three years ago, but because there was no legislation allowing for that, uh, the practice was continued to be legal, but they couldn't educate anyone about it. Now they'll be able to do that education. That sounds great. Now, I want to remind our listeners, um, this is Assemblyman Bill Quirk, who was elected in November 2012 to represent the 20th Assembly District, which is Hayward, Union City, Castro Valley, San Lorenzo. Uh, before being elected to the Assembly, Mr. Quirk worked as a climate change scientist at NASA, so, and before beginning his career at Lawrence Livermore National Lab. So we have a 
real, honest-to-God rocket scientist here. This is a smart guy. We're very, very lucky to have him on the show. And so we wanted to we want to ask you, now, why do you think that California chose to adopt this type of law and, and be the first in the United States to do it? Um, I can't speak for other states. I will say that most countries in the world allow it. Uh, Europe and Asia certainly uh, allow it. And if you go to those countries, they have a lot more motorcyclists than we do. And that may be one reason why it's been legal, because particularly if you have a large number of them, there's simply less traffic if you can allow uh, several motorcyclists to a lane or between lanes. And uh, it'll have some small effect here. Uh, but in those countries, it has a large effect in terms of helping traffic go along. Um, the, there was a study done based on data that was, gra- was uh, gathered by the California Highway Patrol for 14 months, which did show that you were, uh, as well, of course, driving a motorcycle is just nowhere near as safe as driving in a car. But they show that you could avoid... Uh, rear-end accidents when you were between cars and so that um, motorcyclists in particular feel that it's simply uh, much safer to actually be between a car than behind a car and getting rear-ended. People just don't expect to see motorcyclists and they sometimes do rear-end them and that, of course, can be fatal. Yes. Um, You know, I'm not not sure it was considered when when the law was being uh, debated, uh, but what about the effect on cars, you know, drivers of cars? Because I know we, we just had an incident here in Lancaster where uh, I was talking about it last week where um, there was a motorcycle that was lane splitting and the motorcycle got offended because some girl changed lanes quickly and the motorcycle felt that uh, the girl had uh, cut him off. And the the motorcyclist came up next to her car at a stoplight and took his helmet off and smashed her mirror off the car and then took off. Um, that's an example of the type of road rage that, that can happen when, when this lane splitting happens. You know, it's, it's, I, I mean, I've personally experienced it. First of all, I don't like it. I, I love the fact that, that there's less traffic when the motorcycles just aren't there because they're they're going through the uh, you know lane splitting. But what I don't like is I'm driving along, and some motorcycle blows by me, and it's startling. And I can see how uh, the the motorcycle, some of these motorcycle drivers, they don't realize that when a person changes lanes, they're not going to be able to see somebody 50 feet behind them. Well, first of all, again. If you're driving more than 10 or 15 miles an hour faster than your car, it's simply not safe. And if all motorcyclists did it safely, which this bill will help on, uh, we'd be better off. As far as somebody breaking a mirror, I mean, that's road rage. And, I, you know, that's definitely illegal already. And cars can do that. Hell, I'm so glad we don't have guns like they do in Texas or we'd all be victims. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, Assemblymember Bill Quirk, thank you for your time and being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. So, 
now well, one thing I want to say before we uh, uh, before we leave that topic is that uh-huh. um, California seems to be on the cutting edge here, Reed, with respect to this. Um, although all those other states have viewed the practice as illegal based on their existing statutes, uh, Arizona, Texas, Washington, Nevada, Oregon, and Tennessee all have bills pending uh, at this moment now to uh, make lane splitting legal in those states as well. It's amazing. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. There'll be some interesting data that comes uh, over the next few years when we see what effect this law has on traffic and accidents and road rage. And, in fact, that's the subject of my Reed's rant today. Uh, It's lane splitting and motorcyclists getting pissed off when cars cut them off. And on the one hand, I understand motorcyclists, they, they, they call car drivers cagers. And they don't like when cagers try to kill them. They think that, that, that cars are trying to kill them because they have some discrimination against motorcyclists. And if anybody driving has discrimination against motorcyclists, that's bad. They, they Again, you should avoid road rage and have respect for anybody else on the road. And the object, the goal, is to get where you're going without getting into an accident, without harming you or anybody else. Um, but when motorcyclists blow by a car, it's really shocking, and it can cause the car driver to swerve and get into an accident. And motorcyclists have to understand that when they're splitting lanes, if somebody changes lanes, it's probably because they didn't see the motorcyclist. They're much smaller than a car, and they probably didn't see them in the first place. That's my Reed's rant. And that will wrap up today's show. And thanks, Mark and Robert, for being on with us today and we'll see everybody next week thank you reed thank you robert thank you remember to check us out at kuzikwa.com that's kuzikwa.com each week we analyze civil cases in the news trends in the law and all legal current events thanks for listening to kuzikwa's fighting for justice radio